This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome one and all to the AirPod for a slightly different episode this week. We are seeing out the year in style. Maggie Rooley, how are you doing? Hello, hello. Happy almost new year. Happy almost new year to you. I am very well fed. I've had quite a nice Christmas break. I'm feeling very relaxed. Um, I have just about managed to pull the last 12 months together in my mind because it has been a lot. <laughs> it's hard to believe all that's happened in 12 months. We're going to go through it here in a second. And when we start talking about some of the major news stories, it feels like they were maybe a decade ago. It really does. I mean, it's been a tumultuous year, I think, for most people, but certainly the royal family who have had to navigate new ground and deal with crises, not just in the nation, but also on the home front mm -hmm. too. And uh, some has been handled flawlessly and some not so much. <laughs> so uh, we will be joined very shortly by ABC News producer Zoe McGee, who is the woman behind much mm -hmm. of the royal content that you guys see on ABC News and Good Morning America. And so it'll be good fun to chat with her. Maggie, before we start, what is the one thing that stands out to you as kind of the big milestone for the royal family this year? Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I think I almost have, oh God. You know what's funny is that if you had asked, if we had talked about this at the beginning of the year, we would have said Harry and Meghan leaving as working members of the royal family is definitely the largest story to happen in the last you know, couple decades. How could anything top that? Yet that feels like a lifetime ago. And now royals dealing with the pandemic feels like the biggest story to happen in their lifetime. So it's funny. When are you asking me this? Now we're back in January. Now I'm going to say how the royals responded to the pandemic. But 11 months ago, I would have said Harry and Meghan leaving the UK. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I think from Harry and Meghan moving to LA to Prince Charles testing positive for COVID-19, it's certainly been a year of royal first and a difficult year for everyone. Um, but cast your minds back, listeners, to the start of the year and take a journey with Maggie, Omid and Zoe to look back at the Royal Year in 2020. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, as I mentioned at the start of the show, there is only one reason we are all together this week, and that is to look back on 
a year that I think the word unprecedented has been used more than ever. And I'm very happy. In an, in an unprecedented way. Exactly. And I'm very happy to have an extra addition to the crew this week. We have the wonderful Lady Zoe McGee, producer at the ABC <laughs> News London Bureau, and of course, our resident Royals producer expert. Can I call you an expert? Yeah. You I mean? like the title Princess. Princess Lady <laughs> McGee. Mm-hmm. Maybe a few more, maybe Queen Empress Princess. Oh, that's nice, that's nice. It has a good ring to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it certainly has been a year where we've talked about titles more than ever. Mm. And I think kind of on that note, I, there's really no other story to talk about before anything else other than Harry and Meghan's exit mm. from the royal family. We started the year really with this story and we're still talking about it towards the end it has dominated it i think google said that harry and Meghan were the most <laughs> i think in the top 10 most searched for figures in the world this year and it shows just how much interest there was in their decision so, to step back i have a question for both of you do you remember where you were when you heard that they were actually gonna leave oh good question do you remember omid I do. Well, of course, there'd been so much talk behind the scenes. I was obviously in the middle of working on Finding Freedom at the time, which we'll talk about later in the show. And so I'd already had a good idea that something was happening. And of course, there was a lot of talk within the palace about it too. When Harry and Meghan came over to the UK, we knew that some sort of decision would be made. But I think I think finding out just after the visit to the Canadian embassy, of course, the couple had been staying in Canada. They'd come back for this supposedly a thank you to the Canadian government for Mm. being such hospitable hosts uh, and for the people of Canada being so warm and welcoming to them. But of course, the backstory to this was that Harry and Meghan were, of course, planning to announce this major decision to step back. And I think for anyone... Zoe, you'll probably agree with me on this. For anyone that's been Mm -hmm. sort of was embedded in this beat at the time, it was something that we were all talking about behind the scenes. We just, there was a case of sort of how and when. Well, yes and no. I mean, I still think it was quite shocking because I remember when they came back and they went to that, uh, you know, the event at Canada House and I was a bit like, why are they going straight to Canada House? <laughs> and then there was something just didn't feel quite right about it all. And then um, I remember I was, because I was actually quite unwell for some of this year. So I was in bed. It was early evening and I was in bed. And I looked and suddenly, ping, all these alerts. And my phone was going off. And I was just like, what's going on? And I read the email and I, and I had to read it about three times. So I was like, oh my God, they're actually leaving. This is it. Mm. Because also before the Canada House thing, there'd been this story in The Sun, yes. which was a leak. And we weren't sure whether it was a leak or whether, I mean, it's The Sun, it's a tabloid. Sometimes it gets things wonderfully right and sometimes it gets things wonderfully wrong. So it was one of those, like, are they? So as you say, we were sort of expecting it, but still... When it, when it came, I remember being quite shocked. Mm. Yeah, the most like expected, unexpected thing to happen. 
You know, what was funny for me is that I'm, I'm thinking back now to the other, to, to when this happened in early January, you know, it was like just entering 2020. No one knew what we were in for this year. And I was actually still in Australia covering the wildfires. So I was like, you know, half a world away from, from London at the time. But what was so surprising is that in another Commonwealth country, people were still talking about it there. It was still something that, you know, was making headlines. People were buzzing about it everywhere you went. So I think it also goes to show just how global this was. You know, it happened to Harry and Meghan. It happened to the royal family in London. But this was something that people talked about really around the world. I am just on that just on that note and this is a very silly aside but I also watched um, some trashy TV during my uh, convalescence and even Bollywood wives was talking about really (laughs) (laughs) so it was everywhere (laughs) yeah I think what was interesting about that time was of course Harry and Meghan didn't even know what was going to happen next Mm. they'd obviously hoped to carve out a role within the establishment, and one that the establishment had never even seen before, this sort of hybrid position where they would choose which formal positions they would keep and what they would leave behind, whilst developing their own private income streams and independence. And of course, this all happened very publicly. You know, we had the Sussex Royal website. And in a rush as well. It was, yeah, it was, it felt, and and I think it kind of then went to explain why this Canada House visit all happened very quickly. And I think for anyone that hasn't heard this, and I don't think anyone would know, we have a Royal WhatsApp group. There is a, and at the time, it was of course where we would often, as reporters, ask questions about any of the sort of stories surrounding the Sussexes and whether they were true or not, the tabloids were filled with rumours every day. And I think that was almost the time when that group went quiet because there was no answers. There was nothing Mm. to share. And even within the institution of the monarchy, no one really knew how to navigate this half-in, half-out model that the couple wanted to proceed with, despite their best wishes and putting it all out there on the Sussex Royal website. And... This was something that sort of continued or sort of hung over this story for quite some time until, of course, we had the famous Sandringham Summit later on, which, you know, Meghan had flown back to Canada at this point, and Harry, uh, with his sort of trusted aides in tow, had this incredible moment with his grandmother and his brother and his father to really sort of thrash out a deal. And, you know, we know now, looking back, just how difficult that was for him. And we know now, um, not only was it difficult with him, but how bad things had got between the family and between between everyone else, especially the brothers. I mean, there was that, the, the sort of unconfirmed reports that Prince William, or maybe confirmed, maybe Omi, you know for, for a fact that Prince William refused to have lunch with his brother because he was just so livid with how he'd gone about presenting this all to the public as a fait accompli when, when you know, it was a private matter that really, really should have been discussed behind closed doors before everyone else knew about it. Yeah, and and here sort of lied the biggest issue was that there were already sort of strains in this relationship. Harry and Meghan, as we know, felt incredibly unsupported by the institution for quite some time. And I think the sort of first signs of that that came out were around the South Africa tour the year before, where we sort of found that they had sort of felt quite alone in their difficulties with the British tabloids Um, but of course things only got worse when a lot of this then all of this decision to step back happened very publicly and 
as you say, it put William in a position where he didn't even want to really interact with his brother. And I think we really saw that, or the emotions from that come out from Harry uh, much later on in March when he gave that uh, fair, almost a farewell speech. The decision that I have made for my wife and I to step back is not one I made lightly. It was so many months of talks after so many years of challenges. And I know I haven't always gotten it right, but as far as this goes, there really was no other option. What I want to make clear is we're not walking away, and we certainly aren't walking away from you. Our hope was to continue serving the Queen, the Commonwealth, and my military associations, but without public funding. Unfortunately, that wasn't possible. I've accepted this, knowing that it doesn't change who I am or how committed I am. But I hope that helps you understand what it had come to, that I would step my family back from all I have ever known, to take a, to take a step forward into what I hope can be a more peaceful life. The echoes of that, which I was really struck by, was the echoes of his mother, who gave a very similar speech when she started to step back from, from royal duties. It was all... Yeah, it was all um, quite emotional, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I think for everyone, not just for the couple themselves, but anyone that had been working around the couple um, for the sort of time that they had had that office within Buckingham Palace, it was a surreal time for everyone. And I know I've spoken about this before, but of course, at the end of March, when they did actually step away from their roles, the deal had been sorted out as best as it can be. And of course, we had found out already in January that it was kind of untenable for them to have this hybrid working model and that if they were going to be out, they would be out completely. And I remember being in at Buckingham Palace for Meghan's last engagement and just how emotional that moment was, not just for the Duchess, but also for the staff that had been working for her and seeing those sort of final goodbyes. You really realise how hard this moment hit everyone, not just the family, but everyone within that institution that cared for the couple. Because of course, as we know, and as I uncovered in uh, much of it within Finding Freedom, there were also many that ha did not have their best interests at heart too. Mm. Yeah, I think I remember you telling yeah. me about that, Omar, those moments that were so emotional and you were there for a lot of them, you know, Megan's sort of last event as a working royal. And, and what struck me so much about the stories you told and, you know, hearing about it was, you know, something you just said, Zoe, that often we, we hear tabloid stories, perhaps, and I sort of always assumed the vast majority aren't true. You know, I came to this beat uh, a little over a year ago, and I was under the assumption that most of what you heard probably wasn't true, and they must all get along in their family, and like, you know, I'm sure it's all fine. And then to sort of um, have more and more sources reveal that there are a lot of problems going on behind the scenes, and perhaps it is really this emotional. And then to know that they, they actually take a step back, they make that choice to leave, that unprecedented choice, you know, to leave the royal family as working royals. Uh, it just reminded you the, the, the breaking point that they must have felt the, that the whole family was at and how high emotions were running and just really how unfortunate it is at the end of the day, you know, this is a family and um, to have it be so raw and visceral and emotional um, and then to see it sort of play out on a public stage, it was, it was a rough time. Yeah, it was a lot. It really was. 
Um, what was it? What was the what was the quote from Megan in South Africa? It's not enough to survive. Mm-hmm. You want to thrive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, they've gone off, and I would say they probably are thriving from a. Uh, yeah. From all the deals that are being struck left, right, and centre, from what we <laughs> see of them, they all seem very happy in their new Californian. Uh, well, it's pretty nice. It's a pretty nice pal. I wouldn't say no to living there. Yeah, I agree. I could. I could get behind that. Should we relocate this podcast to? Uh, well, Southern California. frankly, we I I think we could probably live in that um you know in the in the little kitty's house in the, that was in their Christmas <laughs> card. I'd be quite happy in that. That's a really good point. Yeah, we're volunteering. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, we came out of Harry and Meghan's departure and almost went into uh, really one of the biggest crises that the world, mm. this country, and the royal family has faced in quite some time, and a time where we really saw. Uh, what I would call royal resilience. Uh, the royal family stepped up as the sort of cases and deaths from the coronavirus pandemic uh, continued to spread across the UK and spiral in April. Um, there was, of course, much criticism about how our Prime Minister Boris Johnson was handling the situation. And there was really only one voice that could unify a nation during what was an incredibly traumatic time for everyone and of course we had the Queen address the nation in a televised speech uh, really one of her third I believe uh, that was sort of outside of the usual Christmas speeches that we get and again unprecedented moment for the royal family but one where we really saw the royal family step up in a way that we hadn't for some time. While we have faced challenges before this one is different. This time we join with all nations across the globe in a common endeavor, using the great advances of science and our instinctive compassion to heal. We will succeed, and that success will belong to every one of us. We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again, we will be with our families again. We will meet again. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 that speech by the Queen was beautifully put. I mean, as usual, Her Majesty got it spot on, especially that closing line of, we will meet again. And actually, I don't know whether um, everyone saw it, but there was a huge billboard of her on Piccadilly Circus mm. with those words um, next to it. And I think, you know, quite a few people would have taken a lot of comfort from looking up and seeing it sort of gigantic... Uh, monarch looking down on them telling them that you know we will meet again and we'll be okay um we just got to get through this and of course you know queen elizabeth ii has been through a lot and she has been through the second world war and she knows she you know no she's the emblem of the british fighting spirit really mm. it was a note of hope that i think so many brits needed to hear but what really surprised me at the time was that of course this message or the, her, her words didn't just reach those in the UK and across the Commonwealth it was breaking news around the world and of course I remember it, it was also a huge story on ABC News as well and I think for everyone it was that sort of reassuring acknowledgement of the hardships that society was facing at that time and so whilst she is not the queen of many of the countries covering that story she was still an apolitical figure that has, of course, been through so mm. much, being able to sort of reassure us at a time when really we had no idea what was, what was truly going on or how long this would last for. And, you know, I certainly never mm. 
in my wildest dreams thought we would still be dealing with the pandemic for on such a severe <laughs> level at this point. Yeah, yeah. I think the timing was so interesting, right? And I don't think I quite realized that until just this moment where we're coming out of, you know, this... this uh, uh, exit of Harry and Meghan and I think there was so much conversation around sort of what's the point of the monarchy and I know as you know an American new to sort of living in a country with the royal family and experiencing it in a brand new way there were definitely a lot of those questions right you had Harry and Meghan leaving the ro- work as leaving the royal family as working members many people questioning you know what sort of the, the, the purpose of the monarchy what are they still doing is it still relevant and then you have this massive crisis hit and all of a sudden the, the queen is speaking and the whole world sort of stops to listen and for me it really struck me uh, as this this poignant moment where you're like oh gosh well this is kind of the point of the monarchy i mean right here right now right like you said world leaders you know elected politicians were all trying to rally their countries but it was this queen that kind of silenced everyone and caused the world to stop and listen and to have that happen so soon to when harry and Meghan sort of had their you know um, big exit from the royal family i think with that juxtaposition was just very jarring mm, no 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 that's a really good point and also it was quite interesting because all around, obviously, there are lots of um, kings and queens around Europe who have who are heads of state. But Queen Elizabeth held her fire because Sweden, you know, Spain, they were all quite early on going, you know, we, we'll get through this, we'll get through this. But and, and we were going, when's the queen going to speak? When's the queen going to speak? But, and she timed it. She held her fire and she timed it very well for maximum, maximum effect. Yeah, it was. I, she knows what she's doing. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was. You know, I think many would have been forgiven for thinking that the Queen's 90s would have been a quieter time as she, you know, moved away from some of the roles that she had. But I think this moment really reasserted her role as this very hands-on leader and also set the tone for how the royal family really continued their work throughout the pandemic. Because, of course, around this time we saw that sudden shift into you know video calls and uh, like everyone else that was sort of moving into this work from home model they were doing exactly the same but of course it wasn't just the queen's voice uh, that carried so much weight within this pandemic prince charles was of course Mm -hmm. really the symbol of uh, how anyone could really be touched by covid19 at the time and he was one of the most high profile figures in March and he was he was early on as well exactly it was one of those oh my I'm, I'm again I remember that phone call like uh Zoe the uh there were reports that Prince Charles was, <laughs> was tested positive I was like no way um he was up in Scotland wasn't he and the, the extraordinary thing about that is that his wife didn't get it um, or nor did any member of his staff so they must have isolated him pretty quickly um and it always made me giggle the idea of sort of Prince Charles in some bedroom in Burkhall up in Scotland, having you know his food left outside and no one having anything to do with him for because in those at that time I think wasn't the guidance fourteen days. Yes, it was. It was a much longer period. Well, no. What I was going to say is it wasn't just Prince Charles who of the royal family who uh, came down with the virus, was it? No. Well, what was interesting about this was, of course, as the UK really reached new heights within the fight against coronavirus we found out much later on in fact only only just a few months ago that in april prince william privately uh, battles the coronavirus or a positive test for coronavirus and very little information has really ever come out about that 
ever since. It was perhaps one of the few moments this year um, during the pandemic where I, where I think questions were, were sort of raised about how the royal family had perhaps conducted everything during that time because I think we all saw the impact that Prince Charles's diagnosis had on the nation and in fact I think at a time when the Queen was had later on told that or reminded the nation that we must stay at home and people were still coming to grips with this I think seeing Prince Charles touched by COVID-19 was actually a stark reminder that it can happen to anyone including your own parents because I think he is sort of the uh, you know he is the, the dad of the royal family and that that to see him deal with that by himself at Burke Hall, as you say, Zoe, would have been a reminder to everyone else if it could happen to their own families. The other, the other thing that I think the Queen carried off with great aplomb was when we first saw her in a mask, when she went to go and lay some flowers on the tomb of the Unknown Soldier. She rocked it. She looked seriously cool because there'd been a few engagements where everyone was quite like, is she going to wear a mask? Isn't she going to wear a mask? And I, um, if you remember, she went with William to Porton Down, mm. which is our sort of top secret chemical warfare facility in um, southwest of London and she didn't wear a mask and there was a bit of a rumble like why didn't she wear a mask because that would have been a really good message to the nation wear a mask and it turned out that everyone that she came in touch with had uh, had been tested you know well advanced of her trip and isolated and so there was no way that anyone could have given her the virus and I think probably at that time the biggest priority was to protect the monarch. And if she's going to go out and about, then, you know, mask or no mask, the, the most important thing is to make sure that she doesn't come in touch with anyone who's got the virus. But I personally think she missed a trick there. Yeah, I think there are definitely um, moments this year where for a family that is so concerned or, or sort of aware of optics, I think that's sort of really one of the main things mm -hmm. that goes into the planning of any royal engagements. Uh, there were certain moments, such as not wearing masks on the visit that you refer to, that could have sent a really strong message to a country that perhaps wasn't completely unified on its thoughts on wearing a mask or not. Um, but it didn't happen. And I think, like everyone, I think the royal family has really had to figure a lot of this stuff out as they move forwards. You know, the people advising members of the royal family have not dealt with a pandemic before. And I think that there are many firsts throughout this journey that perhaps haven't always been carried out uh, flawlessly, yeah. um, but have eventually well, exactly, been done I, right. Yeah, and I would say, I think during a pandemic, everyone deserves a bit of slack, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good point. I was, I was trying to think back myself to even, you know, how we were handling the pandemic, whether it be six months, nine months ago. And I think we've all learned so much that, you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight and and ask why people didn't do certain things. Uh, but you know, I, I'm trying to remember for myself how confusing and scary it was when it all first started to happen. I mean, remember we were like all washing our, our vegetable deliveries. Mm. Yes. And, you know, people just didn't, yeah. didn't know. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's always easy to, to, whether it's criticize or, you know, applaud people in, in hindsight. But I think you're right, Zoe, that, all right, we're living through a pandemic. We'll give everyone some grace. Everyone's trying to figure this out. Exactly. <laughs> well, for a year with so much struggle, we, we were able to enjoy a few uh, more lighter moments within the Royal Beat, including Princess Beatrice and Eduardo Mapelli Mozzi's wedding on July 18th. Uh, really the best example of a socially distanced wedding you could have had. Um, very few guests were there. The photos really focused just on 
the couple themselves and it was a much more scaled back production than what we were originally expecting that was that originally included a big bash at Buckingham Palace that the Queen was hosting for Beatrice and in the end it was just a small wedding at the chapel in Windsor um, and there was actually a wait for the photos because of course the wedding happened and then the Queen had uh, an intimate investiture with Captain Tom Moore who of course raised over a hundred million dollars uh, for the NHS. Uh, God, was it that much? I mean, wow. Yeah, which is just an incredible moment. And I think that was really the first time that we had seen the Queen step outside of her bubble um, at yeah. a time when everything had moved to virtual engagements, but uh, for a very worthy cause and done in a very safe way. But of course, we then got to the enjoy other... those great photos. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. And just, just one more thing on the Queen. I love the idea that... that uh, you know, she's, she's so busy and Prince Philip has retired. But I like the idea that this pandemic has given them both a chance to actually spend a bit of time with each other. Mm. And in quite an unusual move, the Queen went to Wood Farm, which is, which is Prince Philip's sort of private home on the Sandringham Estate, where he spends a lot of time. And the Queen went there and, and there isn't a lot of staff there and it's not the grand house. And those two, you know, I can just imagine sort of cozying up on the sofa, watching a bit of telly <laughs> together. <laughs> Binging the crown, perhaps. Yes, exactly. All the crown. Probably not that choice, but... Yeah, we can talk about this. No, watching the races. Actually, there weren't any races, so what was the Queen watching? (laughs) Good question. Well, she definitely would have been able to pour over the photos from Beatrice and Eduardo's wedding. Um, It was really, you know, we don't often get royal weddings, and it was such a shame that this happened away from everyone. But I think uh, for a family that really has struggled with uh, a lot of negative attention in the last couple of years, I think it was a a rare positive moment for the Yorks who'd really been through it all. And of course, Mm -hmm. Princess Beatrice and Eugenie uh, completely uh, sort of separate from their own parents' problems, but unfortunately get often drawn into them Mm -hmm. through ongoing coverage. Yeah, I mean, also maybe it was a slight solving of a problem for for um, Princess Beatrice because obviously her father's presence at her wedding would have drawn a lot of negative criticism given everything that he's been going through last year. And um, one note on those lovely photos, which were lovely, and it was very, very touching that she wore an old dress of the Queen's and she looked great and um, clearly very, very happy. But in the photos that were officially released, there was no sign of her father. No, and that was the... He was socially distanced out of (laughs) (laughs) it. Completely photoshopped away from things. And in fact, that was the conversation that dominated a lot of the coverage of the wedding. You know, where we stand now, it's been well over a year since Prince Andrew vowed to cooperate with the FBI. Uh, during mm. his BBC Newsnight interview, and that still hasn't happened. Um, we've, of course, mm. since then heard from a lawyer representing Jeffrey Epstein's alleged victims that said it's outrageous that Andrew hasn't cooperated with US authority despite so much time passing, and there is still continued pressure on him calling for him to do the right thing. With this pressure that clearly will not go anywhere, do you guys think? that we might see Andrew actually cooperate in 2021? Or will this silence continue, this very damaging 
silence. Well, I think he will cooperate. I think what's happening behind the scenes at the moment is what sort of cooperation he is prepared to give versus what sort of cooperation the uh, US prosecutors want. And I think that wrangling has been going on behind the scenes for a very, very long time. And I suspect uh, that the pandemic has maybe put a hold on all of this because other people, you know, have got other things to do with their time. But but yes, I think 2021, we might see some sort of testimony from Prince Andrew given to US prosecutors. I, I don't know. I don't know whether we'll see him, you know, whether it'll be a sworn testimony, whether it'll be in court, whether it'll be a video link. I just don't know. And I think, I think no one knows that. And I think that's probably what Andrew's lawyers... I mean, I'm sure Andrew's lawyers are doing everything they can to possibly protect him. And I do think that there was an element of... Um, you know, internal US politics and all of this with the grandstanding and, and the idea that, yeah, we're going to bring a prince to justice. Um, but, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. It's important I, to note yeah. that he denies all charges of wrongdoing, but, you know, this will continue to, to loom over him, especially as Ghislaine Maxwell, who's, you know, currently being investigated and uh, set for trial in July 2021. You know, that's a story that won't be going anywhere. Maggie, what what are your thoughts? Well, it was interesting in, in, in hearing Zoe in, in, in your thoughts in particular, because for me, this is sort of the story that is always there and never goes away, but then it fades because, as we all know, working in news, you know, people want what's new, and the story isn't that new anymore. So sometimes it's not that you forget about it, but it's just there's other stories that are happening that get reported on. Um, yet it's so important to remember this is a massive news story with a man who is very powerful, a high-ranking member of the royal family, who is being questioned by you know top legal officials in the United United States. This is a huge story, and so I think it's important not to let it just sort of. Um, fall away either just because it's been around for a while and so I'll be very curious like you said to see what happens next year if if you know more negotiations come out if he does cooperate if you know Glee Maxwell's case moves forward you know what this means for Andrew and I think what'll be really uh, I'm really curious to see is how the rest of the royal family reacts you know we saw some of it just with his daughter's wedding and some of the choices she had to make with photographs and uh, how to how to sort of proceed with her life and, you know, there'll come a point where I think we'll kind of expect the royal family to say something or do something. And I know their, yeah. their motto is don't say anything. So, but, but this one, I don't see how they're going to avoid not saying something if, if it does move forward. And again, like you noted, Omid, you know, Andrew doesn't deny everything. Maybe this will go nowhere. Who knows? But if it moves forward and it shows his involvement, I mean, we have to have some reaction. I mean, he's, yeah, I agree. And, and he's hired, you know, he's got a PR team behind him. He wanted to try and resuscitate his image. But the more, as you say, I mean, the Ghislaine Maxwell thing, once she was arrested, that definitely would have, would have um, well, obviously it wouldn't have made him sweat, but it might have made him a bit more nervous. Yeah, I think, as, 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 as both of you point out, this isn't going anywhere. And I think what doesn't help his case is this sort of, insistence from his lawyers saying that he has offered to give a witness statement I think they claimed at one point that he had tried to give a witness statement three times um, but we then hear from people like the US attorney Jeffrey Berman who pulled together a press conference to accuse Andrew of falsely portraying himself to the public as eager and willing to cooperate and 
I think there's only really one way to address this, and, and that is to actually do something rather than remain silent. You know, it's never too late to do the right thing, and I think his evidence would help many of the victims yeah. who are really trying to find peace and justice Def in what has been a really horrific journey. Definitely, definitely. And that should be his his primary objective, I would say. And and, and it may well be, but but um it's one for the lawyers, isn't it? Well, after heading back to the US at the end of March and beginning their new lives as non-working royals, but very busy working individuals. Mm. This was also the year that we saw the Duchess of Sussex get her voice back. And I think we heard from Meghan more than ever in a number of speeches, including speaking up for the Black Lives Matter movement at her high school graduation speech in June. The only wrong thing to say is to say nothing. Because George Floyd's life mattered and Breonna Taylor's life mattered and Philando Castile's life mattered and Tamir Rice's life mattered. And so did so many other people whose names we know and whose names we do not know. Stefan Clark, his life mattered. I think what was great to see in these moments with Megan was that she was really able to speak up at times that she felt were important, whether it was standing up certain social injustices, of course, encouraging Americans to vote, something that was considered quite controversial over here, despite not actually picking a side in the upcoming elections. Yeah, I think the controversy was, in part, it was understandable because they were, they didn't, they weren't outright uh, backing any candidate. And they did obviously, Harry and Meghan, choose their words very, very carefully. Um, as part of their agreement to uphold the Queen's values. They did try very hard to remain apolitical. But we all knew what she was saying. And to some commentators over here in the UK, that was a step too far. And I think that will all come down to personal preference. And a lot of it was, you know, whether you liked Meghan in the first place or whether you didn't. And you could see that the, the divide was the people who had an issue with her continue to have an issue with her and I think that goes across the board on many many things that she and Harry have spoken up about people who have an issue with them will will criticize them for certain things and the people who support them will carry on to think that they're doing fabulous wonderful philanthropic work and at some point it would be really nice for those two sort of polars to find some common ground <laughs> but like the rest of the world I mean I just it, it, it it's like a microcosm of the polarization of politics basically the pro Harry and the pro Meghan camp versus the pro I mean that is insane to me the Cambridges versus the Sussex camps and what happens online when you read those accounts and who supports who mm -hmm. and what they do and the lengths that they go to and there's like the passion I mean I find it actually quite scary I think you make such a good point because I remember when I went back you know I think I saw the headline for this story first and at first you hear, you know, if royals are sort of outspoken politically, I think that would be very jarring. That would be something that kind of goes against you know, decades, if not centuries, of, of how the royal family acts. And uh, so you're maybe concerned at first, but then when you went and read actually what they said in that video, they never once mentioned a candidate's name. And, and Omar, I think we talked at length about this. I, I, I believe it was just, they talked about like voting for decency 
Now, you can interpret that, but that's someone's interpretation. And so, uh, Zoe, I think I 100% agree. People, I think, go into this with having already made their decision about what they think about someone. And no matter what that person says or does, they'll sort of leave feeling and thinking the same. Yeah, I think... But interestingly, also, sorry to interrupt it, Omen, but interestingly on that, I think the key reaction was that of President Trump, who said, oh, I didn't know she was nasty and stuff like that. I mean, President Trump clearly understood Megan's comments <laughs> as being vote for Biden-Harris. And that's that, you know, that's important. What I think was easy to see in, in this in, during these speeches was that, you know this was a couple that had previously been frustrated and not being able to speak up at times when they felt it was just important to get up and out there and encourage others to either take action or to spread a, a word of positivity and I, I think the best example in that was just how quickly Megan leapt into action during the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement which an incredibly mo important moment in time and of this year and one that we didn't see any other members of the royal family acknowledge and in fact there were some commentary over here that considered perhaps it was a, a political issue that we would never see royals talk about but I think this is Harry and Meghan really highlighting the difference between taking sides in politics or being too political and simply standing up for human rights or what is right and by speaking up regularly, we've also really been able to get a really strong picture of what it is that Harry and Meghan want as part of their legacy, this sort of brand archwell non-profit organisation that they're building. Without actually revealing the projects, we do have a really strong idea of what it is their values are and how they're going to, to work with those. Over but the, yeah, the I mean, as far as, as Meghan's speech, which she gave to her old um, high school, it, it was... It was obviously very heartfelt, but this is, this is, you know, this is a cause that's incredibly important to her. She was the first member of the British royal family to be biracial. And, and you know, there was this whole debate over the racism that she may or may not have experienced or that she felt she'd experienced. Certainly Prince Harry felt that she had, had been the victim of racism um, and, and has very, very publicly spoken about that. So, and then she got home to LA and it was just blowing up around her, wasn't it? I mean, um, and so in a way it was, it was obviously very important for her to talk about it, but also she was in the right place at the right time and for her not to have said anything would have been utterly impossible. Mm. I think you make a good point. It's all those times where, uh, similar to what we were just speaking about, where you almost, you need the royal family to say something, yet their precedent is, we don't say anything. And so in this situation, when you have someone like Megan, who, you know, I'll never forget when we were on that, uh, and Omen remembers, we were on that South Africa tour, and it was sort of, she gave her first speech um, at, the, at the township, and she referred to herself as a black woman, and it definitely was something that the, um, you could tell this was going to be, you know, obviously her, not only her identity, but something that she really wanted to, um, make as make herself known as and is something that she was going to take seriously and, and you know champion causes that revolved around around her and, what, and how she had grown up and what she believed in and so then to be thrown into this um, situation that was happening in america you know 
like you said, Zoe, she couldn't not say something. But I think if she had been a working member of the royal family, mm-hmm. perhaps she would have felt more like her tongue had been tied. And so to all of a sudden have this uh, have the option and, and the opportunity to sort of speak what was on her mind, it, it yeah. must have been very um, just opening for her and freeing, I could imagine. Yeah, I think being back in the US, as, as you said, Zoe, right, being in the right place during these moments, not just during Black Lives Matter, but of, co- of course for the upcoming election. In fact, during her conversation with Gloria Steinem, I think Gloria later shared that Meghan had told her that she had come back to the US to be able to vote. And I think that was, uh, you know, Mm. her really sort of stepping outside of her royal family role, even if it's no longer a working role. And just as as a woman that is proud of the country that she comes from and stands up for the issues that affects that country. And I think that's why sometimes it was hard to really understand where some of the criticism came from because it would have been more odd to me had she have not spoken about these things or at least shown some kind of interest. Yes, exactly. Well, one thing that we got very used to the sight of this year was seeing members of the royal family at work, but via the computer. I, I think I've seen the Cambridge family <laughs> on Zoom more than I have my own family in the last six months. Um, but, but, you know, this became the new normal for the royal family. They were able to continue their work and do it in a way that still had impact. It was obviously a little challenging after a while for it to look different to the previous engagement. But they were still able to get good. We got, we got to have there. a snoop inside the palaces a bit more, didn't we? We got to see lots of different backdrops. <laughs> you know, saw what books they were reading. That was different fun. Rooms, different. No, it was good. But my favourite part about that all was uh, Princess <laughs> Anne teaching teaching the Queen how to use Zoom. On one of them, she sort of interjected and said, "Oh no, we do it like this, Mummy." And she and the Queen was quite abrupt. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Duty and glimpse of the mother-daughter relationship there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, and then when then there was another call that she was doing, the Queen was doing for, I think it was the, was it the 150th anniversary of KPMG, the accountancy firm? And then she had a technical glitch oh. and um, one of the chaps couldn't hear her and she was talking to She worried she'd and lost and everyone. Said, oh, I'm sorry I lost you, ma'am. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But um, she, you know, she she. I'm so that glad one out too. you mentioned <laughs> snooping around royal residences because I think that was one of my favourite things about all of these royal Zoom calls. Noticing all of the sort of chotch keys in the background and just the the interesting decor choices by certain members of the royal family. I particularly. Well, Do you have any favourites? Certainly, yeah. noticed Prince Charles has a thing for squirrels. Like, he is really into squirrels. If you look in the background of any of his offices <laughs> or any of the rooms that he's in, there is, like, a model squirrel. There are pictures of squirrels. There are squirrels everywhere. And, listen, I don't blame him. Or, or maybe it's one of the... Maybe maybe it's one of those things, you like, he made a mistake of telling his mum or his sister that he likes squirrels, so now every Christmas he gets a squirrel <laughs> something or other. <laughs> Anyway, we know, we know yes, what to send absolutely. him now. Yeah, exactly. I thought that it does make me think all of a sudden when you're just, you know, it was this glimpse into the royals. Um, they're just like us, right? Like the page of Us, we, us Magazine, River Magazine does that. And you see this glimpse into their lives and you're like, oh my God, when I'm doing my work calls from home, don't you guys ever worry about like what's in your background? And I just wonder how long they painstakingly like put together their, their Zoom backgrounds to make sure that they were okay. I mean, you have to imagine that there was like an entire... Um, 
royal consultant that came in to make sure the Zoom backgrounds were perfect. Or maybe it was just a really good screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like one of those fake, I would have loved if they yeah. had popped up with a fake photo. I love that, the queen with the... Yeah, they should offer, they should offer like royal backgrounds. We're going to have to take, we should take a photo and then we yeah. can, we can all have those backgrounds. Um, this is a total tangent, but that actually, is, this is a total tangent, but I was just reading an article about how new companies have started to pop up. And there's one that's popular in Washington, D.C. where you um, say, oh, I need a collection of 15 books. I want it to make it seem like I'm smart and conservative. And they'll send you 15 curated books that put in your Zoom background. You've never had to read them or anything. And it's just a bookstore kind of adopting with the times. So now I'm so curious, you know, what was real in the Royals' background? Do you think they hired this company to come in and be like, right, I want it to look like I'm an environmentalist that collects squirrels. This is my background. I think my favorite behind the scenes photo that was shared during that time was Clarence House put out a picture of Prince Charles doing one of his earlier Zoom calls. It was just after his battle with coronavirus. And it was a picture of him at his table, I think in his study, but his laptop was on top of a box Mm. and a few books. And it was exactly the kind of setup that I think we've all gotten quite used to with the sort of finding the perfect angle for a Zoom call in in the past past year. He's working the angles. You think they got ring lights? One of the first royals that we saw really stepping outside of the virtual engagements was Prince William, who visited the Oxford vaccine group unit at Churchill Hospital in June. And that kind of really sort of set the, a new way of working for the Cambridges, a mixture of virtual engagements, but also trying to be out there as much as possible. And in a year where we saw the size of the pool of working senior working royals gets smaller than ever. It was really up to the Cambridges to do as much work as possible during the pandemic. And I think we saw them do pretty much everything throughout this the past nine months, whether it was clapping for carers uh, on TV shows or taking uh, tying in Princess Charlotte's birthday with delivering food packages to the vulnerable on the Sandringham estates. They've really tried to be at the heart of the pandemic and of course acknowledging all the work being done by those on the front line. Yeah, and, and, and we saw a lot more of the children, frankly, and I think maybe we would have done, um, had there not been a pandemic, we saw lots of photos and we saw lots of very, very sweet videos. I think the um, all-time favourite has to be the one where they were talking to David Attenborough and that's when we heard Prince Louis talk for the first time and that was pretty good. <laughs> That was a really cute moment from the year. And I think, of course, we saw all of this culminate with the grand royal train tour that had kind of popped up out of nowhere. I mean, I'm sure it was in the works for some time, but there was very little word from Kensington Palace in the build-up to this announcement. And then suddenly, it's a three-day, I think, I don't know how many hundred-mile trip around uh, England, Scotland (laughs) and Wales thanking those at the heart of communities who had helped others during the pandemic, frontline workers, emergency workers, retail workers. And it was a very well-intentioned trip, but of course it was the first time this year that we saw Mm. a real mix of positive and negative coverage from the Cambridges. Even with senior politicians uh, in Wales and Scotland refusing Mm. to acknowledge their arrival due to the restrictions that those countries currently faced at the time of the couple arriving and questions over whether it was actually necessary for them to be there. 
essential travel only and was that essential yeah I mean as you say it was a lovely idea and I'm sure that they thought they could go around and you know sprinkle some festive cheer all over the place but was it a little little advice given what everyone was going through and I think the main one of the main things that they were criticized for is people hadn't seen their family for a very very long time they hadn't been able to travel around and they hadn't been able to to connect and then to see royals sort of flouncing in and out at will I mean it would have hurt imagine if you hadn't seen your I don't know your elderly Mm. grandmother for six months and then you see her meeting the Duchess of Cambridge you're like well actually I think she'd probably rather (laughs) see me than you or, or not who knows but I can, under- I can understand why people were upset with that. And especially if you are, as you said, it was the it was uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister of Scotland, and also um, the First Minister of Wales, who were having a tough time keeping people at home or, or keeping people away from travelling around and mixing. And then, you know, to, to say people, well, actually, no, you can't go anywhere, but these guys can, it, it did put them in a slightly awkward position, I think. I agree. I think people are just so sensitive right now too around, this is a high stress time for everyone. And then when you add in... Speak for yourself, honey! (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry! (laughs) Don't you notice that? You know, you got the holidays, you got a pandemic, you got tier restrictions. Uh, Everyone's exhausted of it at this point. And yeah, I agree. I think Zoe, that reaction is perfect. That's exactly how everyone feels. Very relatable. I think this has been a year that has actually been pretty good for the Cambridges, given that the you know there's certainly been some negative moments. Certainly, uh, you know, if we cast our minds back to the end of March when Harry and Meghan stepped away from the firm, and there was that very that perfect opportunity for a show of support from the royal family during the Commonwealth service. Uh, that of course turned into a very public icing from the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge towards the couple. There had been some moments that I think that the Cambridges perhaps didn't come out as well as could have been. And I think the Royal train trip is one of those. But I also think that this has probably been one of their best years when it comes to asserting themselves as proper forces within the firm. I think we've heard from Kate more than ever. She's actually stepped outside of talking about how keen she is to do things, to actually doing them. And I think as William has sort of stepped into this much Mm -hmm. more statesman-like role in the last few years, we're seeing Kate finally catch up with him. And I think that that now presents what what should be a very exciting new chapter for the Cambridges as as they sort of take their steps uh, higher up the, the ladder within the firm. And of course, the, the Sussex is leaving a very big hole that needs to be filled. Yeah, I think on, on that note, don't forget William launched the Earthshot Prize, which, mm. um, well, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but it is certainly something that he personally obviously feels very strongly about and was projected by um, Kensington Palace as being a very, very big deal and something that, you know, even would be relevant to Prince William's legacy. I mean, this is a very, very long-term project and obviously a subject that we know both he, Prince William, and Prince Harry and Prince Charles all care very passionately about, which is trying to protect the environment and sort out the world. I mean, and all of them have been very vocal about the idea that the more that man intrudes into nature, pandemics like this will occur. Mm. So, you know, they were right and it's about time. 
And, and we should all start listening to Prince Charles because he's been talking about this for a very, very long time. <laughs> I know. I did love his recent uh, interview he just gave where he was talking about how, you know, being a young man in 1970, this wasn't a very hot topic to be passionate about. But kind of look at it now, everybody. That's my he didn't, <laughs> yeah, he didn't say exactly. that. That's my interpretation of it. But kind of like, you know, it may have taken the world 50 years, but look who's cool now. I'm, I'm... Exactly. I think, didn't he say something like, everybody thought I was a bit old? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to see and, and looking forward to seeing the Duchess of Cambridge's work uh, really coming to life next year. Mm. Of course, we've heard a lot about her interest in the early years uh, arena. People often ask why I care so passionately about the early years. Many mistakenly believe that my interest stems from having children of my own. And while, of course, I care hugely about their start in life, this ultimately sells the issue short. Parenthood isn't a prerequisite for understanding the importance of the early years. If we only expect people to take an interest in the early years when they have children, we are not only too late for them, we are underestimating the huge role others can play in shaping our most formative years too. And, of course, we had the five big questions survey, uh, the, the survey itself and the results of that survey this year. And this is all sort of building up to what Kensington Palace is saying will be kind of a lifelong project for her. And we'll see the first announcements from that in 2021. So I think all eyes will be on them to see what they're, what they're planning to, to deliver in the next year. They've certainly held an audience in the UK that is predominantly mm. positive and, and enjoys the work that they're doing. So I think this is a great time for them. Yeah, I think it makes a good point, Omid, because it's, uh, even as we take a look back at 2020, it was obviously dominated by all of these major news headlines. The pandemic, you know, made the whole world stand still, including the royals. So a lot of the, the projects they were working on may have either had to take a, take a back seat or just didn't get as much press as they may have. Like you mentioned, Earthshot Zoe. I think that could be something that is huge. And yes, it did get, you know, a decent amount of press attention, but when you're competing against a, a pandemic and uh, it's tough to make headlines <laughs> in 2020. So I think it'll be really interesting to see, like you say, Omid, going forward in 2021, um, what are some of the new headlines that they make? I think you make a good point with Kate. She really kind of found her voice this year and was doing more and more engagements. Uh, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm excited that as we sort of are continuing to deal with the pandemic, we do hopefully have this light at the end of the tunnel and that maybe the second half of next year we can start to see the royals really out there doing more engagements, maybe even a royal tour. Do we dare dream? <laughs> maybe maybe. <a> royal tour. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of excitement see, ahead. The other the other thing that's going to well, who knows what's gonna happen next year, but which is supposed to happen next year is of course the unveiling of the statue of Princess Diana and both the boys were expected to be there and this will be the first time or that we'll see them you know very very publicly together and all eyes will be on whether well you know what the dynamic is like yeah whether things have been forgiven and forgotten and whether they'll they'll come back together or whether the whether the bond has sort of been irreparably damaged or not quite yet or or even indeed if it's possible because who knows who's going to be able to travel but that is scheduled yeah. for, is it July? And, and we know that since March, of course, that very public departure for Harry and Meghan, things have 
progressed when it comes to family relations. You know, I've said this before, but there's nothing like the concerns over a, an unwell family member or parent to bring families together. And of course, Prince Charles going through coronavirus. And of course, we now know Prince William would have been moments where we saw Prince Harry really sort of put everything to one side and make himself available to his family and, and, and show care and, and, and be part of that. And we know that since then, a lot of the fractures within their family relationships have improved. Now, we don't know how far that is. That's something that sources have been quite mm. tight-lipped about. But we do know this Christmas just passed. There have been gift exchanges. I'm sure there would have been virtual conversations at some point. And, you know, time is definitely a healer and I think for a year that started out with the chaos of the Sussexes stepping back and everything that came with that announcement and the lots of hurt feelings that came with it we now see a family that is slightly more at peace ever so slightly than it was at the beginning of the year and that kind of leads us into our our next subject which is this is the year that Harry and Meghan actually found their freedom you know we heard all about mm. the stuff that they, dun, we dun, heard dun. about all of the stuff they wanted to achieve and why they were stepping back is that is that a very subtle is that a very subtle book plug <laughs> listen people questioned me people questioned me why the book was called finding freedom i remember when it was announced people said how insensitive to be releasing a book called finding freedom when there are much more important things to be finding freedom from but to the sussexes I think this journey to actually find a place where, you know, as Megan has said, you know, they weren't thriving. So to find that place where they can thrive, where they can be themselves, where they can carry out the work, but still be respectful of the royal family. Everyone had so many questions about these things. And now as we reach the end of the year, we really see that they did actually achieve what they set out to do. And they clearly are in a much better place than they've ever been as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Yeah. Well, I know, and good for them. I mean, I just think at this, after all the, let them just be happy. Let's just, you know. And I really hope yeah, they are. Yeah, I think we we've certainly seen them take on work that is very much in line with the things that we, I guess, all predicted or thought that they would be doing. We've had, of course, this huge production deal with Netflix. They have an unnamed production company. I'd imagine it probably will have Archwell somewhere in that title um, that is currently working on projects that will be coming out in 2021. We've got the Spotify deal. That's a multi-year deal that will see them providing podcast content for that platform. But I think one of the things that's been exciting to see them have the ability to, to do is to fight back against inaccurate reports or things that they uh, want to speak out against mm. because of course one of the things that made them so unhappy within the ins in institution was this never explain never complain mentality the no comment approach to any kind of negative or inaccurate reporting whatsoever and we see them fire back pretty quickly these days yeah it's true they do seem to have um well i think you can say that they're much more in control of the narrative which must have been what was driving them around the twist, not being able to, especially for someone like Megan, who was used to, when she was a TV star, mm. being able to control the narrative. And she had her blog and she could, you know, she had a very carefully cultivated image. And then suddenly that was no longer in her hands. And that must have been very tough. 
as we kind of think about what are going to be the big headlines in 2021 as well, I keep forgetting how many uh, legal cases we should be hearing maybe as soon as next month or in the upcoming months. So I think that'll be something to uh, keep following as well. And I, and I do wonder, you know, uh, how these court cases play out, what the ramifications will be and how it will impact not only other royals, but also other celebrities and the coverage that they're either allowed or not allowed to receive by, by uh, papers here in Britain. We hear lots of people talking about or trying to sort of analyse what it is the couple meant by wanting privacy or more private lives. Mm. I think people have argued, is it a private life if you are uh, working with Netflix or you're sharing snapshots of your life through some of the other work that they're doing? But I think it's important to note that I don't think they've ever wanted to disappear. I don't think they've ever wanted to actually be private citizens but I think that they've always wanted to draw the line on when intrusion or dealing with inaccurate reports is acceptable and when it's not and they seem to be clearly unafraid to um, pull the trigger when it comes to knowing where their rights are and where the law has been broken. We've seen them fight back against paparazzi photos, that was one of the things that people really worried may be an issue for them when they moved to Montecito and of course they dealt with that when they were living at Tyler Perry's home and in fact it's mad to think that they've lived in four homes this year that's a lot of unsettledness <laughs> and, and chaos that has finally come to a very peaceful point and I think we really heard that in the first episode of their Archwell audio series with Spotify I think both of them sound very happy and relaxed well, with 2020 slowly disappearing into the rearview mirror, I think something that's quite welcomed by most of us, it is hard to predict what 2021 has in store. We are in very unsettled times, but there are a number of royal milestones that we'll be looking out for. It will be hard to know how the, any of these are celebrated. We've got Prince Philip's 100th birthday in June. Can't quite believe that that's even Oh, happening wow. but that's a that's a grand age mm. will he do you think he'll receive a, a letter from the queen bloody <laughs> <laughs> well sure hand delivered and then of course we have the sussexes <laughs> no no maggie you mean you mean maggie <laughs> mean footman delivered that's true yes how could I? of course and then we have the sussexes 12 month review at the end of march that has come around very quickly but i think if we look at the work that Harry and wow. Meghan have done, they've clearly achieved what they wanted to do. It's, I guess, now a case of finding out if everyone is happy with everything. And that imagine will... if they have another, like, imagine this is another sort of astonishing decision and they're like, no, actually, we're coming back. Start getting Frogmore yeah. ready. That would be, be very unexpected. I'd be quite happy. I... I would be quite happy because when we looked at, you know, it was towards the end of the Cambridge's Royal Train Tour and the senior um, working royals all met in the quadrangle at Windsor Castle. So we had the Queen and we had the Cambridges and we had the Wessexes. Um, and it just didn't look the same without Harry and Meghan. It looked like a slightly, and obviously it was quite a sombre occasion because we're all in a pandemic, but it's I don't know. I guess that should be our honourable mention and highlights of the year. This has really been the year that Buckingham Palace have tried to um, 
push the work of the counters of Wessex and Prince Edward, who have very much been in the background, but with such a small group of senior royals left, we've now seen them sort of take, I wouldn't say fill the void left behind by the Sussexes, but certainly add to the numbers. And it'll be interesting to see if that continues in the year ahead. Um, but of course, it wouldn't be a royal, royal year without more babies. We have uh, Princess Eugenie's and Zara <laughs> Tyndall's babies on the horizon. So oh, yeah. at least we'll be getting some portraits. I, I can't think of the next wedding now. We, we really have no more weddings until the Cambridge children grow up, which will be... <laughs> they better hurry it up because I missed my royal wedding this year, so... So I've got to ask you guys, we've gone through the headlines of 2020, but what were your personal favourite moments from the year? Ooh. I know mine. It was recent. I'm probably stealing what yours was too. <laughs> well, let's go to Zoe addition. first. <laughs> because you know what I'm about to say. No, oh. no, no. <laughs> you go first. I'm still well, thinking. I can't help it. My favorite is when Camilla brought her dog to the dog home and they had the dog pull the curtain thingy back, but in order to have him do it, they tied a sausage to the end of it and the dog pulled on the sausage. It was just everything. I was like, this wins. That is a, that's like my favorite news story of 2020. I mean, let me just explain it again in case someone missed it. Someone in, in, in that you know, royal group tied a sausage to the end of a curtain. Just like, think about that. Like who had to tie the sausage to the curtain? Like what were they thinking about when they tied the sausage? Was it raw? Was it cooked? And then and then Camilla came over there with her dog and had her dog pull on the sausage to pull the curtain. I mean, to unveil the plaque. It's just, it's really everything. I think all I other about. plaque unveilings yeah, are good. shook and will never be the same again because... <laughs> They'll never be the same. It's like if you don't have a dog and a sausage. Well, no, I think, they're gonna, I think they're going to have to up the game, like just bring different animals. Like, like, yeah. It's going to end up with an elephant oh. peeling back a curtain at one yes. point. What a cute little British hedgehog. <laughs> we have certainly seen more of the royal pets this year. We also, of course, had royal pet losses. The Queen is now down to one dorgy. Mm, and right. the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge lost Lupo this yeah. year at just nine years old. Um, so it will be interesting. Yeah, there was a bit of mystery surrounding Lupo, why Lupo died, wasn't there? Did you think he got run over? He certainly was younger than expected, and Kensington Palace haven't given any further insight into it. But I think what was, what was really interesting about that moment was that the Cambridges, I think, at this point, have certainly made themselves more approachable with the public and you know to see them jump onto Instagram in the way that perhaps other celebrities or other high-profile individuals do to share the news of that with their own message alongside of it showed that we might see them perhaps slightly more within arm's reach in the year in the year ahead because I think before we'd kind of seen them stay away from adding their own content to social media. Um, I'm still trying to think of my favourite moment. There were just so many. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was like, Zoe, I'm waiting. I feel like you're going to have a good one. No, I think my favourite was, I've already, I've already used it up, was the idea that Prince Charles is holding out and he doesn't have a mobile phone. <laughs> oh, that... <laughs> he must be so annoying. Imagine if you're like late to meet him and you're like, oh, I can't tell him I'm late. 
I can't yeah. even text him and he's waiting on you. Well, how does he take photos? Oh, what's your favorite? Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Does he still have a camera? Like a real camera? I think you camera? have someone else <gasps> always on hand. That's the follow up question. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. He has a human, a professional. Well, he has a little just mobile phone carrier who walks around with him everywhere. Oh, it's not my phone; it's his. <laughs> the, the perfect excuse. This is what I'm. I guessing. think my favourite moment was actually very recent, and perhaps the best one to close out this end of year special on. It was it only took place yesterday on the first episode of Archwell Audio Podcast. And it was hearing Baby Aww. Archie wish everyone mm. a happy oh my God, new yes. year. Archie, is it fun? Hi. Fun. <laughs> After me. Ready? Happy. What? Happy. New. 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 I mean, that was just to me. I mean, y- you mentioned Zoe earlier in the show, that moment when we heard Prince Louis speak for the first time and they made that video asking David Attenborough questions for his newly launched Instagram account. And I, I just think there's something about cute royal baby voices that I am weak for. <laughs> well, how, well, how does everyone, how does everyone... You know what, oh, mate, that's a really about good the one. American twang? I, I, you know, I, th- I thought it was so oh, well, I ridiculous like <laughs> that there's so much focus on how a child's accent may or may not appear in three, perhaps two and a half words. I mean, New Year kind of blended into to one word. Uh, listen, this is, he, he lives in, in the US. He has an American mother. I would perhaps argue that even if he was living here in the UK, if he was living at Frogmore Cottage, children often adopt the accent or some of the accent from their mother who they spend the most amount of time with. Wait, how would how would you say it? Happy how do you say New Year? What well my um I think you should all know oh. that my three year old doesn't wish people a new year. He wishes them a new ear. <laughs> See that's oh my god. Alright, well now that wins. That wins. It's always really interesting to hear what everyone else's favourite moments were. And that's exactly what I asked on Twitter just before we recorded this. A slightly overwhelmingly high number of responses. So apologies if I don't get to read them. But it was really interesting to see just how different everyone's highlights of the years were. Uh, Brutus's mum said, Seeing Megan sitting in her backyard in her new Montecito home with a floppy hat on her head and a smile on her face talking to Gloria Steinem. To me, that said she was happy, relaxed and glad to be home. Uh, Many of you picked this as your favourite moment, including Lexistential, that said the Endeavour Awards. That night was magic. Of course, that is the night we had the iconic picture of Harry and Meghan under the umbrella just days before they officially moved away from their senior royal roles. Um, Ian Mason 11 says the Queen knighting Captain Tom was his favourite moment, had a lot of those. Uh, Luna said Harry and Meghan believing in themselves and putting themselves first was one for them. In fact, hundreds of you said the moment Harry and Meghan stepped back was your favourite moment, royal moment of the year. Um, Mally Poulton says the Queen reassuring the country, the voice of reason, trust and hope, the glue that keeps us together. 
And Holly J said, the Duchess of Cambridge's Hold Still project, we had quite a few for that. Uh, she says it portrayed the whole of 2020 perfectly. And in fact, those pictures really did sum up certainly the UK and uh, how it dealt with the pandemic, not just on the front lines, but at homes as well. And one more, let's pick one more. Uh, Laverne Mars, this was actually another great one that also I'd add to my list of favourites, was the Sussex is matching the Sussex Squad fundraiser for CAMFED. CAMFED um, catalyzes the power of the most vulnerable girls and young women in Africa, helping them uh, with education opportunities. And the Sussex Squad earlier this year raised uh, tens of thousands of dollars for this initiative. And uh, the Sussex has matched that donation at the same time. Uh, lots as well, talking about the Archwell podcast, um, moments with the uh, Cambridge Royal Train Tour was also pretty popular. Uh, one more. City Girl 684 said the story of love that Harry and Meghan's hand-holding told, especially during their last engagement at the Royal Albert Hall. Of course, we mentioned that earlier in the show, Harry received a huge standing ovation from the entire military veteran community. And that just about brings us to the end of the show. I mean, it has been quite the year, quite the ride. So much more still to come. I, you know, I think that we get, we can tell I think I promised myself earlier this year that I would no longer use the word unprecedented because I just feel I had beaten that word to death. <laughs> but I think as we step into 2021, yeah. we will continue to have those first moments of royals doing things differently as we continue to adopt to the current situation with the pandemic which changes by the day uh, you know we are currently in very high levels of restrictions here in the UK and that will continue to impact the work that the royals mm. do I'd love to see a royal tour on the cards but it's also hard to picture when that will actually be with the vaccines rolling out so slowly around the world Yeah, also we're going to we're going to see which royal's going to get the vaccine first. My money's on Prince Philip, obviously, but um Oh. Oh god. You, that's a really good question. I bet the queen. But a, mm, maybe yeah. they'll do it together. Ooh. Two two I for think the that price would be a big one. moment. They use the same yeah. vial. <laughs> two for <laughs> Are you guys making New Year's <laughs> resolutions this but year? But you're right, that will be a big moment. No. <laughs> No, just, I just want to like, I just want to like yeah, keep living. Stay alive. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's everyone's resolution, you know, find, find the, find the positive, um, keep connecting with people any way that we can and managing to have some fun. In Absolutely. Um, I think there's, I, I haven't thought about, about it. You? I know there are certainly, after watching the Royals navigate this year, I, I think that keeping calm and carrying on is a double-edged sword so I'm not going to follow that one I think there are times yeah. where we've really seen that work to their advantage and there are times where it's also really done them a disservice um for me I don't know I continue wearing a mask um and maybe take up puzzling uh, you've inspired yeah. me Maggie I'm just telling everyone puzzling's changed my life in the last week and I highly recommend it as we go into 2021 still in lockdown I'll trade. I'll trade puzzles with you. But as I told you, they have to be good ones. I like detail. I like people. I like a lot of pieces. And fun. Well, Zoe, it's been such a pleasure <laughs> having you on the show. You've got to come back 
for another one very soon. I would love to. Thank you very much for having me. I know, Zoe, I love catching up with you. And a big thank you to all the listeners of the AirPod. It's been so fun to have you guys tuning in every Friday. uh, Sending all your lovely so yeah do stay in touch if there are things that yeah if there are things that you want to see or hear more of in 2021 then let us know you can either tweet myself at scoby or at maggie ruley just use the hashtag the airpod so we can find it and of course i've got to say a big thank you to the guys in new york mike debusky leighton schneider and anthony alley Mm. for pulling together the show every week and on that note I think stay safe everyone, look after yourselves and each other, and we will catch you next Friday in the new year. In the new year! Have a good one. Happy new year everyone.